Hey, New Life Church, Bronson Duke here. Thanks for listening in. The heart of our church is that you would know Jesus, that you would walk with Jesus, and you would learn how to live like he lived. We hope that this message equips you and empowers you on your journey walking with Jesus. Would you all stand again for the reading of the word? This is really loud. (laughs) We're going to be reading from 2 Samuel 11, verse 2 through 5. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent a messenger to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness. Then he sent, she, sent, she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you. Dear Father, we need you this morning. We need to hear your voice. We need your spirit to fall and to feel the hearts of your people. For Father, the truth of the matter is that many of us walk in here with smiles on our faces, but pain in our hearts because life continues to be difficult. But the great thing about that is that you are with us in this life. That, Father, your comfort, your love, your joy, your peace that you give us, Lord, brings comfort to our lives. And that's something that we can hold tight to. Father, we just pray that you would be lifted up today so that all men would be drawn to you. Because, Father, it's you is where we find our hope and our strength and our joy. I just want your will to be done here this morning, Lord. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. I want to speak to you this morning about the five P's of a Christian life. Um, nothing special about the five P's. You can use any letters you want. Eventually, you're going to find that out when I share this with you. But it's just something that God gave me many years ago. It takes me back to my college days, um, 1989, I was a sophomore in college and there was this youngster, this freshman that moved in from Louisiana, came to play part of the football team. And he was about 5'10", about 195 pounds, um, chiseled. It's really what they said I looked like when I first got there as a freshman, but we know that's not true. I don't know how I was 5'10 in college, but I'm 5'7 now. The weight, (laughs) we're not going to go there. (laughs) But I'll just call him Luke. Luke comes on campus, and he is a stud of an athlete. He is a stud of a football player. He plays the same position that I played as running back. And everything about him said, what are you doing at SAU? right? <laughs> what are you doing here at an NAIA school? You should be at a Division II or a Division I school. 
That's what he looked like. And when he was out on the field, that's what he exemplified. But the thing about Luke was that not only was he a great athlete, he was a great lover of the Lord. And I remember becoming friends with him and we began to talk at nighttime about the Lord and his didn't understand why he loved the Lord so much. But I found out later on that his dad was a pastor. So kind of made sense. But the thing about Luke is that he had a hunger for the Lord when he first got onto that campus. He was reading his Bible and he was the first guy that really introduced me to some some gospel temporary music. Um, BB and CC and, and, and commission and, and, and take six and, and these groups that I knew nothing about being a little country boy in a little small town. And I remember the excitement and the joy that he always had when, you, when he would walk down the halls in the dormitory, he would always be whistling. And he just had so much joy in his life. And I said, man, what is about this kid? Not only is he a great athlete, he was a good looking athlete also, but he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And I wanted that. I wanted more of that. And so as the years go on and, 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 and we become friends and he becomes this great athlete out on the field, there's some things that I start to notice about Luke. Luke decided that he wanted to join the fraternities. And I said, okay, Luke, I want to tell you about the fraternities, bro. I'm here on this campus. I know what they do. I know what they engage in. I know what they're all about. Are you sure this is something you have prayed about to be involved with? Oh, I'm sure. That's what you say. I'm sure. <laughs> you know, I know what I'm doing. I'm just like, <laughs> I hope your daddy knows what you're doing because I really don't think you know what you're doing. So he got involved with the campus. And on SAU campus, they were known as the pretty boys. They carried around their little canes and they looked all cute and had their dress clothes on and they thought they were the greatest thing since sliced bread. And they act like it and they carried themselves in that manner. But before you know it, not only had he joined a fraternity, he had also started chasing women because women was also chasing him. And I just begin to watch this pattern come in his life and, and, and these practices that Bronson always talks about. And, and I begin to wonder, where has the spark gone for the Lord? Because if the joy was no longer about, let's talk about Jesus as much as it was, let's talk about the fraternity. Let's talk about the women. Let's talk about the parties. And I could see him drifting away from his roots. And not only did he drift away from his roots, he ran from his faith. He got involved with this young lady, and she was a pretty young lady. She was involved with a sorority also, and began to be active sexually, and eventually she became pregnant. And all of these things were going on in his life, and he was running and running. And I was asking God, how does one get to a place to where he was so in love with the Lord, to where he doesn't even want to hear the Lord talked about. And I begin to ask the Lord, year in and year out, why and how does this happen? And as I begin to read his word, there's patterns in God's word, right? I mean, in the Old Testament, what we're in right now, the Old Testament, the Israelites, they would love God one moment, right? And everything would be great. And then they would look over to the left or to the right and they'd say, oh, that nation looked like they're having fun. So they would begin to worship their idols and run away from God. 
And then God would turn them over to what they wanted, right? Because that's what they wanted. God would give you what you want, right? If you desire those things, he'd turn them over to what they want, and they would wallow in that for a while, and then they'd go, oh, no, what has happened to us? And then they'd cry out to God, and God would let them stay there for a moment to remind them. When you walk away from me, you walk away from the best thing you've ever had in your life, and I want you to feel the weight of that. And then eventually that cry would get to his ears. And he loved his people so much, he would forgive them and restore them. And that's kind of still the same pattern that we run in today. It's the same kind of thing that we still face today. And I want to share just these five P's with you of how this happens, at least how it was conveyed to me. The first P, I would say, is the pool. It's the pull. It's the thing that we gravitate towards. If you look here in verse 2, we start out this way. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. You get the picture? I don't need to describe the picture because we can all see the picture, right? He's looking out with his eyes, and what do men do? We look at stuff, don't we? Oh, look at that. Boy, God did her good. Look at that. That's what we do. We as men, we look out, and he looked out, and you could sense the pull. That's one thing to glance and go, mm, oh, wow, she's beautiful. But there's another thing to look and say, whoa, look at that. And that's where he was. And it's the temptation is the pull, correct? And all of us deal with it, right? There's something inside of us that always thinks that God is not enough, that we need more than what he has to offer. And so we look over to the left and to the right. It's the very thing that Moses told Joshua when he gave him the reins. It's what God conveyed to him. I think it was like in Joshua 1 verse 9, he says, do not look to the left or the right. Don't do it. Because those nations to the left and the right of you are foreigners, they're wicked, they're evil. Don't engage in the lifestyle that they're engaging in. And it's the same thing for us today. David looks out and it is that pull, it is those eyes that are looking. He says, "Woo! I want that over there. I want that. That temptation, it starts to knock at our door. It's the very thing that God told Cain, right? He says, there's evil, there's sin crutching at your door right here, and if you do not master it, the sin will master you. And he would not repent. He kept the pull. And David right here, he is being pulled. He is smart enough to know that if he engages in such behavior, there's going to be disaster that's going to come. But you know, David's the king. He has all this power. He has all these rights. He's not thinking about consequences. Eve was the same way, right? Eve, it says that she looked out at the fruit, and she what? She saw that it was good, the pull. Temptation is always pulling at us. Temptation is always knocking at the door. Temptation always saying, you're going to have a lot more fun with me than you're having over there. But you know what? Temptation never, ever delivers, does it? For a season, it says. But then it says, eventually, your sins will find you out. In James chapter 3, verse 13, 20 through 14, says this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. 
But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own what? Evil desires. And what? Enticed. And that's us. That's me. That was Luke. God doesn't tempt us. He doesn't put things in front of us to trip us up. Now, he puts things in front of us to test us, but he does not put things in front of us to tempt us. It is that pull. It is that first look. It is that first thought. It is that stuff that gets inside of our heart and we start to think, ah, just maybe. Maybe this will be okay. In Joseph's days, his brothers had a choice to make, right? Because they had so much hate and they were so angry at him, they were so jealous at him, they had a moment to where they could have just let him be. But what did they do? The pool was so great to do evil, they set out to kill him. But instead, they send him down the road and eventually he becomes a slave. That's what the pool begins to do to us. And if there's a pool, you know there has to be a second P. Once we're pulled, then we got a choice to make. And number two is the pursuit. The pursuit. We have a choice whether or not to pursue the sin, correct? We have a choice whether or not to engage in whatever has come into our heart, that's got into our mind, that's got deep into our soul. We have a choice whether or not we are going to pursue it. And what does he say in verse here in three and four? It says this, from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So everything about us is feeling the weight of that pursuit. It is the temptation that has given in to the enticement, that has given in to what's in our hearts that we really want. And since we want it, we're going to pursue it in spite of what pain might come along with it. When we pursue sin, when we're after it, we don't even think about the people that it's going to hurt, that are going to be involved in it. We don't even think about the consequences of our own actions sometimes because we're so busy in the temptation. We're so busy in the pursuit that we don't even think with clarity that this could do harm to my soul, not only to my soul, but to those who surround me. Listen to what David does. David, first of all, he got out of his routine. He got out of his practice. You see, every morning it used to be that David would get up and he would go out and he would pray. He would seek out the Lord. He would talk to the Lord. In the first verse up here, it says that in the springtime, the warriors, the king, they would go out into battle. And David chose not to go into battle at this moment. He sent someone else in his place. So you got all of these things that are going on that David would not even be in the predicament, in the pursuit right now, if he was doing what he was called to do in God's eyes. When we are following what God demands us to do, commands us to do, that we know to do, there's little time for us to engage in risky behavior. When our eyes are focused on him and when we are pledged to serve him with all that we have, all the distractions seems to disappear. But not for David. He got out of his patterns. He got out of his practice. He got out of his routine. Oh, ah, mm, I want enough battles to feel good. Ah, I'm going to Set this one out. And it cost him. 
Because this is what begins to happen. David looks out, and so he gets a servant involved, right? The servant, he says, hey, you, go and fetch. Now, let me ask you something. What if the servant would have said, hey, no, David, we're not going to let you do this. What would have happened to the servant? Gone. Had no rights, had no power. But what did he try to do in David's pursuit? He tried to say, hey, David, remember, isn't this, isn't this guy, don't you really know this guy? That he, he's married, he has this going, you, you don't want, you don't want to bring his wife up here. There's always some other people involved in your mess when you start to pursue, when you start to pursue something that's, a, excuse me, that's ungodly. And so we got that incident going on. Next thing we got, we have a wife, a woman that's married, a woman that's devoted to another man, a woman that is devoted to a man that David has out in battle. But we're not thinking about that. He's not thinking about that. He's just pursuing because the heart wants what it wants. And he desired to have that woman because he looked out, he saw, he lusted, he wanted, he desired, and he wanted it more than anything else. God always makes a way out for us, and that's sometimes we don't understand that. When we get ourselves in the hot water, the Lord makes a way out for us. I mean, the servant is basically begging David, David, this is not of God. This is not of you. This is not how kings conduct themselves. That woman belongs to someone else. What are you doing? You know, I think more than anything else in our walk sometimes, we don't say no to the people that we care about and we love enough. We just want them to be comfortable and we want them to be happy and we want to continue to be friends and we don't want to rattle the cage. I see that in my own household at times. I, I, I just don't want to address certain issues because I, I, I don't want them to feel better. I don't, I, don't, I don't want our relationship to be harmed. And yet I'm harming it by not saying anything. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing to our fellow brother and sister when we decide that we're just going to sit around and do nothing. This little guy, this little servant tried to remind David, you know this family. You know this woman's husband. Don't get involved in this. Don't do it. But God makes a way, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says this, No temptation has, has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. <clears throat> Excuse me. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. God always provides a way out. He is always concerned about his people, about those who love him. He always makes a way out for you. The question is, do we want the way out? I think that we get so involved and so lost in the, what we want from that temptation and those desires that we lose sight of what's important. We forget about what our relationship once was with the Lord because the temptation's there and we've given into it and now we're pursuing it. And God is the last thing that we're thinking about. Sometimes our family and friends are the last things that we're thinking about because we want what we want. Because the flesh is weak and the spirit is dormant. And so we pursue don't ever say that God doesn't make a way. He makes a way out for us. 
When Isaac in Genesis chapter 27, verse 24, when he walks into the room, when Isaac is dying there, excuse me, when Jacob walks in and he says, hey, Isaac says to him, hey, Jacob, is this really, he was pretending to be Esau, is this really you? Is this really you? And what does Jacob say? Yes, it is. Yes, it is me. They put the plan together, him and Rebecca, right? That was the pool. And now the pursuit. And now the lie. Yes, it is. It's me. You see, when we start pursuing, we're not thinking about who we're hurting, who's being harmed. We are just moving at 100 miles per hour, not ever thinking about the harm that we might be doing to others. And this leads us to the next P. Since we're not thinking about the harm that we're going to do to others, we're just thinking about the fun that we're going to have, the excitement. Next P is the pleasure. The pleasure. The pleasure. I don't think any of us would ever pursue sin if there wasn't some fun in it, right? Oh, pleasure. Oh, pain. No, I don't want that. Pleasure. Woohoo! Let's go! And that's what we do. There's an excitement about this. I know for David, lusting, looking, wanting, desiring, there's an excitement in his heart, deep within his soul, in his hormones. I mean, he's excited about this, and yet he knows God's word. He knows God's power. He knows God's direction that he's leading him, but yet he wants this, and so he continues to pursue it. Excuse me, to pursue it. He had sex with the woman. He knew that there wasn't going to be anybody at that moment that was going to keep him accountable because Nathan wasn't there. No one was going to stop him. It's the same thing with us. It's the exact same thing with us. That magazine's over there, or that flick, that porn is right there, or I want to um, have an affair and sneak around on my wife or on my husband. It's right there. Or I want to take this drink because I want it. There's pleasure in it. But the truth of the matter is that pleasure only lasts for a moment. To be locked into something to where God is pounding against your heart and saying, what are you doing? What are you doing here? This is not of you, and it's definitely not of me. Why are you pursuing these things? Why has this happened? When Moses went up to the mountaintop to talk to the Lord and Aaron was left behind and Aaron was supposed to watch the people and Aaron got tired and the people got tired and they said, let's party. Get the calf. Get the go. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. That's what we do. That's really what we do, right? I mean, no one's looking. Let's go get the pleasure. You know, those cookies are sitting over there. Mama's not going to catch. Mama say, don't touch the cookies. Don't touch the cookies. But there's pleasure, there's joy out of the bite of that chocolate chip cookie. And that's what we are. That's who we are. That's what we do. And as I was talking to Luke, I was like, Luke, what are you doing? Luke, this is not of you. You have taught me things about the Lord. You have changed my perspective on the Lord. This is not of you. And Luke would just remind me, oh, I'm having fun, boy. I'm living it up. Yeah, you're living it up, but you're living a lie. You're living it up, but now you're empty. You're living it up, but your faith has dwindled in the Lord. You're not really living it up. 
Because every night you have to look in the mirror at yourself. Every night you have to be reminded of who God created you to be. The spiritual things that your mom and dad had poured into you. The light that you were on a dark campus. Your teammates who respect you because you lived a certain way. Although the pleasure seems fun, and David enjoyed the pleasure, I'm sure, until he got those little words back, right? <laughs> I am pregnant. Then the pleasure stops, right? Because now there's reality. And it's just like when we're locked up in our sin and we, we're enjoying it so much that we forget that there's consequences for the things that we do against the Lord. And that leads us to number four. Fourth P is pain. There's pain. There's pain. 2 Samuel chapter 3, 11, verse 5 <clears throat> says this. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. The scandal is on, right? Oh, no. What do I do now? You see, the pain is this. It's the regret and then the consequences. That's what the pain is. Our eyes are wide open now. How did I get here? What am I doing here? How do I get out of this? But you're there now. The pain. And what great pain David would feel. What was the pain for Adam and Eve? The pain was very simple. It said that in verse chapter 8, it says that when the Lord came and he was speaking out loud and asking them where they were, it says that they hid from the presence of the Lord. They hid from their creator, just like we do. Rather than running to him with all of our stuff, we hide from him. They hid from him then, and we're still hiding today. Luke was just hiding. He was just hiding everything, yet he was feeling all the misery. Excuse me, the misery that you can feel. <laughs> Please. I ain't gonna make it. You're the man. <clears throat> he was feeling every bit of it. But because of his pride, and because of this, guys, when we get locked into that pain and in that pleasure, we think that there's no one that would ever accept us again. We think that we've done so much damage that God could never use us again, that no one would look at us the way that they once looked at us. But the, the truth about it is that God can take your pain and take all of your yuck and your muck and recreate you into something perfect and usable for the kingdom. Amen. And I think we forget that sometimes. The pain... The pain, the consequences, the regret. Uriah is sacrificed. He's killed in battle, and David sets it up to make it happen because he won't have relations with his wife or sex with his wife. David, <laughs> David conceals what he's done from Nathan the prophet, and he hides it for over nine months. The joy of David's salvation is no longer there. The relationship 
that he once had with the heavenly father who anointed him, who empowered him to kill a bear and to kill a lion and to kill the giant was no longer there. That relationship had been severed a little bit because he had not repented of what he had done. So he's living in that pain. Oh, he longs for the joy of his salvation. He says that his body, his bones would ache knowing that he was hiding all of this from the Lord. But he wasn't hiding it from the Lord. It's right out in public to the Lord. You can't hide anything from the Lord. Where can you go that the Lord is not there? He's everywhere. But he was hiding it from his kingdom. And yet he was going on with his duties. And it says eventually that she conceives a baby and the baby dies. God takes the baby. Not only that, David eventually loses his kingdom to one of his sons. Not only that, one of his sons, the son that he loses the kingdom to, he goes up to the top of the palace and he has sex with his concubines in front of all the world to see. There's pain. There's regret. There's consequences when we decide that we're just going to dwell in this pleasure because it's so much fun. Never remembering or think about eventually there's going to be great regret. And maybe that's where some of us are this morning. Maybe we're in the midst of the pleasure and pain is right around the corner. Because this is it. The God that I know that I serve, for those of us who know him as Lord and Savior, he is not going to let us go unpunished for our sins. He tells us that in his word. And that's if we decide to come back to him. The pain. And then last, praise the Lord, the promise of peace. The promise of peace. Man. The promise of peace. Penance. Restoration. Repenting of the sin. Confessing it unto the Lord. David found himself in a hole, and he finally came clean to the prophet Nathan. He finally confessed all of his dealings, all of his stuff, all of his lies, all of his garbage. He finally let it out. And he desperately wanted to be near the Lord again. And he says this in the book of Psalms 51, 1 through 3. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You see, the great thing about knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, the thing, great thing about having a heavenly father that loves you so much is that he has grace at his throne. He says there is absolutely nothing that will ever forsake him from us. He will never take his love from us. He will never turn his back on us when we come back to him. It's not that he says, go on and do what you want to do, because he will turn you over to it. But he's still standing there with his arms stretched out saying, come on back. Come on home. And I think sometimes the evil one starts to whisper in our ears, and we think we're not good enough, and we're not good enough. And we do not deserve his grace. It is a gift. It is a gift of freedom when we confess our sins unto the Lord. He is just to what? 
forgive us and renew us. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, he says this, Repent therefore and turn again that your sin may be blotted out. I can't imagine, although I know we've all been there, right? Where we've taken this sin, this thing that we think that no one else knows about, that we hope our parents don't find out about, or we hope that the pastor doesn't find out about, or we hope that so-and-so doesn't find out, or our wife, or our husband. And Satan has convinced us that the best thing to do is just keep it concealed. Just hide it away, just tuck it away. That's your little buddy. And most of that time, you're living a miserable, unenjoyable, prosperous life when you do that. God has so much more in that peace. He has so much more in that promise. But we think (laughs) that we know what's best, and we take on what Satan lies to us about. It's not worth it. There's peace, men and women. I don't know about you, but that makes my heart go ba-boom, 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 because I've been right here in what I'm preaching about. My brother Luke, I don't know what happened to him. I don't know if he married the lady. I don't know if he got back involved in the church. I don't know what happened to him, but I do know this. He left a lasting impression on me. That, Robert, if you're going to talk it, you better live it out. And that's what I attempt to do every day. And so do many of you. Amen. I'm going to leave you at two things, and I'm going to close out here. Find yourself an accountability partner. Someone who knows you. Not a yes man or a yes woman. Someone that will knock you in your nose. All right? Someone that would say, what are you doing? Why are you engaging in this? Why are you here? Every one of us needs someone like that in our lives. And it doesn't matter if you're a minister. It doesn't matter who you are. You need someone in your life that cares enough about you to say, stop it. Stop it. This is nonsense. Stop it. And then the other thing, understand your weaknesses. Know your triggers. Know your patterns. Know your practices. Because if you forget them, you're going to be consumed by the pool. You see, you never have to get to number two. And what is number two? Who knows? Pursuit. You never have to start pursuing if there's no pool. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you, <laughs> you understand us. <laughs> you definitely understand us. You know our ways, our thoughts, our deeds, our wants, our desires. You know the temptation of the world. You know everything there is to know, Lord, because you brought it into being. Father, you know what it's like to have the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the desires of this world and how easy your people get consumed by it. 
how easy it is to look to the left or to the right because sometimes this walk is hard, but this walk is worth it. Father, there might be some of your people here this morning that are dealing with the pool. Maybe they're already pursuing what they shouldn't be pursuing. Maybe they're in the midst of the so-called pleasure. Father, maybe some of us this morning are just in the pain and wondering if we'll ever feel good about life again. Father, restore the peace. Remind us of how much you love us. Remind us of how much you sacrificed for us. Remind us that you give your grace because you choose to, not because we deserve it. Father, maybe this morning, some men and women just might want to take some time to just get back in touch with you and say, help me get through the mess I'm in. Father, I want your will to be done here this morning, whatever you want to do with your people. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey guys, thanks for listening in. I hope that this message blessed you and it helps you in your journey with Jesus. If it did, leave a comment, leave a review. Things like that help us spread the message of Jesus. Uh, if you want to connect with us, the best way to do that is to follow us on Instagram at, at NLC Downtown Little Rock to follow along with the life of our church.